You're listening to the Bible in Real Life podcast with Lee Fulford, where questions about the Bible meet real life. All right. Hello, hello, hello. This is Lee Fuller, and you're listening to the Bible in Real Life podcast, where we take the Bible and we pull it into real life and practice. So today, I told y'all, I told y'all I was going to have a guest coming. And, you know, we reached out and we got it worked out. And today, um, I do have a special guest that's going to come and really give us the insight um, about the topic we've been talking about last month. But before I get into that, I want to make sure, have you liked, have you subscribed, have you followed us on social media? If not, I, I honestly do not understand what the problem is, right? Each day, each time we record, you know, in my humble opinion, and I do say humble opinion, but in my humble opinion, I feel like we are breaking down the truths <laughs> of the gospel um, and how we can apply it to daily life. So wanted to make sure I got that out of the way. If you're not subscribed to the channel, go ahead and do that now. Um, but back to our guests. So today, and I've showed this book before, um, I read this book called The Bible is Black History. And I was going through it and my mind was expanded. Uh, many of the concepts that I read about in the book, I had never heard before. And it really caused me to dig deeper into representation or um, what I saw or where I saw myself in the Bible and biblical history. Well, the Lord has graced us. So he gave me a little courage. So we reached out to the author of the book and he said, yes, people. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce to you, Dr. Theron Williams. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going, Lee? How you doing? I am doing well. Fantastic. So I'm going to do that awkward reading of your bio while you're right there. <laughs> you just have to sit there and look at <laughs> but um, just a little bit about Dr. Theron. Uh, Dr. Williams is an alumnus of Virginia Union University and the, and the Samuel Duet Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union, earning a Bachelor of Arts and a Master of Divinity degree, respectively. Dr. Williams is also a graduate of the Chicago Theological Seminary, receiving a Dr of ministry. So this, I, I am excited to have doctors on. I'm thinking about going to school, but I love speaking to people that already gone through that process and are a wealth of knowledge for us, for us young bucks. So with that in mind, um, I want to say, first of all, how are you, sir? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for asking. How are you? I am well. I am well. Today's a today's a good day in sunny Florida. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I'm jealous that I'm up here in freezing Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. Oh. See, I um yeah, I, I I I apologize. I'm sorry for it. You know, right now it's about 85 degrees. Uh spring break is next week. So it's this is all smiles on this end, but I believe by the <laughs> You don't have to rub it in. You don't have to do me like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, a um, couple things I like to do when we when we do have guests on the show is to find out a little bit about you. So, I got a couple questions just to kind of break the ice and get the mojo working. Uh, so, um, do you have a favorite? Um, football team? Uh, it depends. You know, I, I I choose them from season to season. You know, I used to be an Indianapolis Colts fan. Okay. And I thought I was a real true fan until Peyton Manning left. <laughs> and then I became a Broncos fan. And then I discovered it wasn't the Colts. It was Peyton. Right. Now, has moved off the scene, and I'm sort of bouncing around. I like the um, the Baltimore Ravens because I like their quarterback, and uh, okay. you know, it just depends on what year it is. This year, 
I was really pulling for the Baltimore Ravens um, until the quarterback got hurt. And then I'm like, right. well, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I am a, you know, some people call me fair weather, you know, so the Bucks, me and the Bucks have a rocky relationship. Right. Yeah. Now, for the last two years, I done bought more bucks. Shirts of course. <laughs> man, you got the note down there, man. Of course you did. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we got something to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So, football. Okay. I got it. Question for you um, Favorite ice cream? You know, Lee. It used to be praline and cream oh, until cool. I found out how damaging is, how damaging sugar is to the human body. Mm. And I had to cut it loose. It hurt me. It broke my heart, but I had to cut it loose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me, let me scratch that one off. I ain't gonna, I, I don't know if I can follow up on that way. Um, but no, that's that's cool. The let me see what other question. Okay, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you watch movies or not, but um, so what would be your favorite action movie uh, of the last, let's say, last ten years? Probably, I can't think of the name of it, <clears throat> but Denzel was in it. Okay. And he was working at a hardware store. Okay. These guys broke in and he was able to, to handle it. It was it was action packed. There were two of them. I can't think of the name of, of the two movies that Denzel played in. It was a, it was a series, a sequel. Uh-huh. So those two were great action movies for me. Okay. Okay, I like his Equalizer movies. I know Equalizer right. wanted to. That's it, the Equalizer. Right, right. That's it. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say a movie buff, just media, technology, movies in general, right? So I think in terms of movies and action films or just storytelling, right? And um, and one of the things that that I enjoyed when I read your book was, um, you know, this new perspective on a on a common story, right? Like I have read the Bible before, but um, the book really gave me insight on some of the characters, right? That I thought I knew, right? Some of the characters that I, I was like. Psh. Obviously, I know how this person looks, or I'm familiar with this person, but your book, uh, The Bible is Black History, uh, really uh, helped me see characters in the Bible in a whole new way. Um, do you get that reaction from a lot of people when you mention uh, the Black history? Yeah, pretty much. Um, because we have been conditioned to understand the Bible through a white evangelical hermeneutic. And when we talk about hermeneutics, that means that has to do with biblical interpretation. And I always explain the idea or the concept of hermeneutics as a pair of glasses. You know, if you put on a pair of glasses, you see stuff that you didn't see uh, before you had your, put your glasses on or you're able to see clearer. Okay. Uh, than you would without the glasses. It doesn't mean the reality around you changes. It means that your perspective of that reality has been enhanced by the glasses. And so that's what hermeneutics are all about. It's about mm -hmm. understanding your reality through a specific filter. And okay. white evangelicalism has provided the hermeneutic or the filter through which we understand the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, we read whiteness into the Bible where there is none, you know. Right. So um, so when you remove, and what I'm trying to do in the Bible is Black History, the book, is to help us to understand the Bible through a different, more culturally appropriate 
more biblically accurate hermeneutic. Because the hermeneutic with which we understand the Bible now got young black people walking away from church saying the Bible is a is a book that was written by slave masters that's designed that was designed to keep slave docile in compliance to white supremacy and all of that type of thing. So, you know, that's that's not fair to the Bible because that's not what the Bible is about. That's what the Bible has been turned into through this faulty and flawed hermeneutic. So yeah, I, I, I get that because it's just a matter of trying to provide a new way of understanding the Bible. Wow. Well, so here is, you know, here is what, what bothers me. Um, so <clears throat> growing up and my whole life, right, outside of some, some educational institutions, um, the preachers, have always been black at the churches I've gone to. The senior pastor has always been black. So it's it's interesting that even in our black churches, you know, there was this hermeneutic that was, um, you know, a product of white evangel evangelism, right? Evangelical, right? Mm -hmm. So um, how do you think, the the black churches got to the point where they're presenting it that same way versus you know like you discuss uncovering the book I mean, the this 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 white theology is so pervasively that black churches are practicing it and don't even realize that they are mimicking mm -hmm. white churches and have embraced a white theology you you have to understand and the origin of the black church in America, you know, um, it was when when our foreparents came to the United States in chains. They were brought here in chains, forced here in chains. They were a deeply spiritual people. They practiced the African tradition, religions, and all of that type of thing. But when they got here, Christianity was imposed on them as a mechanism of control. They had to accept it. But the genius of our West African foreparents was that they were able to take Christianity, particularly Catholicism, and use it to sink as as a um, uh, to mass their own religious expressions. So they were practicing Christianity on the outside, but behind that mass, they were still practicing the African tradition religions. And that's where we get shouting from. Okay. You know, uh, holy dancing. Right. Drawing, um, getting the Holy Ghost and running. And they, they even had what they call the ring shout and all of that. And, and getting the Holy Ghost of people shouting. That is a, uh, a form of spiritual possession. And mm -hmm. all of those things were practiced in West African religion. So when Christianity was imposed upon us, our West African religion still found expression through Christianity, which morphed Christianity, which was initially imposed upon us to be a mechanism of oppression. It morphed that into a mechanism of freedom and liberation that made it more um, uh, uh, comparable to the Christianity of the Bible. It made it more authentic. And so we have always been believers. We have always been a religious people, but but white Christianity was imposed upon us. We transmuted it in slavery and used it as a mechanism of survival. And that's mm -hmm. where you have your great abolitionists. You have, um, um, Denmark Vesey, you have to read about Denmark Vesey. Denmark Vesey was an abolitionist. Um, um, Lerone Bennett in his book Before the Mayflower points out that there were more than 250 revolts during slavery or conspiracies to revolt. Slavery lasted for 243 years. There were 250 revolts by the enslaved. That's one major revolt or conspiracy 
every year during slavery. And most of those revolts were spawned by our foreparents understanding of Christianity and the liberation motif of the Bible. So even though the white slave master imposed Christianity on us to keep our foreparents docile and compliant to white supremacy, well, it backfired because you've got Denmark Vesey, you've got um, uh, uh, Gabriel Prosser, you've got Nat Turner, uh, you've got Harriet Tuckman, you got the great Tucson Leovriture of Haiti. And, and, and in Haiti, you know, they were taking people from Africa over to Haiti as well, putting them in slavery in Haiti because Haiti was a rich, fertile place for sugar, mm -hmm. tobacco, yeah. for indigo, and for other uh, cash crops. It, it was rich and fertile. And so the people from Europe went over there, understood it, and then they came and kidnapped our foreparents and took them over there. The problem with they had with Haiti is that it was not heavy, heavily populated with Europeans the way the United States was. And so they brought so many Africans over there to the point where the African population outnumbered the European population over there and Toussaint Leovriture arose as a as a leader of the military under the inspiration of what he believed was the holy spirit and 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 launched a revolt during slavery and emancipated four million africans who were in bondage in haiti and created a black country haiti is a black country he ran out the french the british and the spaniards out of haiti and he ruled haiti you know, and that was all empowered by his understanding of Christianity. You know, so what has happened, Lee, is that when the white slave owners saw how empowering Christianity could be, there were some white slave owners who did not want to Christianize black people because of that fact. Right. And we were, our foreparents were Christianized. And so, we were empowered by our Christian orientation to push back against oppression and domination. And that has been our theology during slavery. But what has happened is that white evangelicals needed to soften the revolutionary uh, component of our Christian expression and wove into it this passiveness. And so now we have a black church that has embraced a white theology and we have left the liberation aspect out of our christian expression and so that's why we can be against black lives matter even though black lives matter is standing up for black people we don't want to deal with that and make it a part of our christian expression because we have been brainwashed into thinking wow. to be a christian is to be soft and to be passive and to allow white people to walk over you so that's oh, what man this okay hold hold up hold up <laughs> that man there is so much i'm i'm trying to write notes and pay attention i'm i'm writing names down of people i got to research and um you know Denmark Bessie and i'm i'm looking at Toussaint Lavorte and and Mr. Bennett so uh, let me back up a second because <laughs> um you brought up a good point um, what got me into this looking was the, the response I saw from different evangelicals um, to the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And I couldn't understand why this wasn't obvious to the church um, that people matter, Black people matter. So this got me whole, this was, got, that was part of the impetus that got me down this journey as well. So when you say that the um, true Christianity, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you said a lot, I'm trying to unpack some of it, but the, the um, within Christianity, there's this liberation motif that, um, and 
one of the earlier times on the podcast, I taught that because of our um, creation, you know, on the on the sixth day, God created mankind. Because of our creation, there shouldn't be that superior, inferior mentality, right? So in light of that, there should not be this white supremacy, you know, one race over over another to oppress and to to keep down. So Christianity, I believe, teaches, because Christianity teaches that, then that would destroy some of these social constructs, right? And it, yes. and it sounds like you're saying that when Christianity is taught without the, the um, white evangelical construct based on top of it, it which is which is designed to oppress and to repress. Um, when that is removed, or when Christianity is taught for what it is, then the equality or that um, need for <laughs> coming up under this docile and 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 uh, passive mentality. I hope I hope I'm saying it right. I hope I'm saying it no, right. No, you you you're saying it right. The and, and you touched on it, that in the book of Genesis, when we see the creation narrative, it's clear that God created this to be an egalitarian, domination-free society. Mm -hmm. There was no under, there was no over. The, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, and God created male and female, he created them. And he um, told, he gave them the authority right. to rule over uh, the, the the animal kingdom, not him, them. Mm. There was equality between male and female. So if you, you, if you can recall, it was after the fall that okay. we see the hierarchy coming into place. Okay. After the fall, prior to the fall, it was egalitarian. It was domination free. Mm. After the fall, what do we see? Now, first of all, understand that God made everything. And when God made it all, he said, it is good. Right. That include the serpent, Lee. He made the serpent as well. Hmm. Now we see after the fall, we see a hierarchy. The, 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 the curse of the serpent is that you're on your belly right. for the rest of your days. Right. He's at the bottom. Over him is the woman. Hmm. Because it says, and her seed will bruise his head and his head will bruise his, his seed. Over the woman is the man, because it said, and your husband will have authority over you. Mm -hmm. so we see the first hierarchy, and it's based on gender. The man at the top, the woman at the bottom, and the sexual ambiguous snake is at the, at the very bottom. So you got the man at the top, beneath the man is the woman, beneath the woman is a sexually ambiguous snake. And the reason I call the snake sexually ambiguous is because looking at Adam, you know what his gender is. Looking at Eve, you know what hers is. But if you look at a snake, you don't know what the sexual orientation or sexual gender of a snake unless you are a trained professional. And even a trained professional cannot tell at first glance. Wow. So okay. it seems like the first hierarchy was based on gender. And hierarchy is evil. Hierarchy mm. is a sign of demonic deception. Mm. God created us egalitarian, equal, domination free. After the fall, you see now the forming of somebody being over somebody else. That okay. system, what Walter Wing calls domination systems. Now, mm. the kingdom of God, one of its functions, is designed to deconstruct systems of domination and like you said, bring egalitarian equality and domination-free society. Here is what white evangelicalism does. One of the functions of white evangelicalism is to provide theological justification for systems of domination. Mm. That's why they feel like the okay. man supposed to be over the woman and they find biblical passages and create a theology to justify it. Mm. That's why they said 
black people are subhuman and substandard beneath white people and they go get the bible and find theology and biblical justification for slavery right they talk about white supremacy and the supremacy of whiteness and how white people were designed and ordained by god to have authority over the entire world so their theology mm -hmm. is designed to hold in place systems of domination which is in is inherently evil and here's the problem lee hmm. when the black church embraces a white theology they are embracing a theology that has historically provided the theological justification for their subordinate place in the white male supremacy system so i'm embracing a theology that historically kept me in oppression hmm. right right so yeah. we we have to break free from white evangelical theology it is nothing good in it that can help the black church man yeah man <laughs> you know hey i you 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 say it so well right you know see this is why i like talking to doctors people because they have studied this stuff <laughs> and and are able to to really express their thoughts the um so let me ask you this with the um if this theology is taught you know in you know through the white evangelical um um you know educational system or however seminaries or however where uh, I guess it's dependent on the individual to seek out books like you have or to find these different um, these different avenues of education. Is that how we should confront or, or educate ourselves? Yeah. Well, first of all, the black church has to be convinced of the evils of white evangelical theology. Mm. You know, you, you've got you've got black people who love white evangelicalism they don't call it they say we don't see color you know whenever people say i don't see color that's exactly what they mean they only see white you know that's what that means when i don't see color all i see is white but anyway they have to be convinced that white evangelicalism is detrimental and it's going to be difficult to convince people otherwise i mean you know you still got black churches that that have images of white jesus in the stained glass windows right on the walls mm. on the surfaces of their sacred space yeah who are uh, uh ordering books for their bible study with images of white jesus and white biblical patriarch plastered mm. not only on the cover but throughout the pages of the book that they are studying right you know so it's going to be difficult for the black church to come to the realization that the theology that you have embraced is a theology of oppression and until that happens they will never see a need to break free from it as long as pastors are building mega ministries okay. with thousands of people and people crowd in there and this is the theology that they are using they're not going to depart from that because they're having too much what they perceive as success right. using this theology. But that's one of the deceptions of the devil. Okay. I will give you what you want if you bow down to me. Right. You know, I will fill your church with thousands. Just don't abandon this white evangelical theology that's mm -hmm. going to keep the thousands of black people that I attract to your church in bondage. Mm. So we're dealing with spiritual warfare, Lee. Wow. The spiritual issue. Wow. And it's an uphill battle. How do we take this approach and live it out practically? Meaning, now that slavery officially has ended, <laughs> um, so now we have this theology that says um that that empowers the black people or identifies the black people and their contributions to history how do we live that out 
in a way that um, is disruptive when it needs to be, but also healing to um, to structures, existing church structure. Does that make sense? It's not enough because I contend okay. that Palestine is located on the northeast corner of Africa. That's what Palestine is. If you look at any map, okay. that's where Palestine is located. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the Bible days, you could walk from Egypt to Palestine. Okay. Uh, today, they have, well, in 1859, they completed uh, the Suez Canal, which mm -hmm. uh, stripped straight through that separated Israel and Africa to give shippers access to the Red Sea coming in from Europe and coming in north to try to get into that area, which is heavy in commerce. You remember, I think it was just last year that uh, the Red Sea got, uh, the, uh, the the Suez Canal got blocked up. A ship turned sideways. Yeah, sir. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, they couldn't get it out. And the, uh, the economy was losing like eight or nine billion dollars a day because they couldn't get the ships through. Mm. So that's a very lucrative area uh, in the part of the world. But that Suez Canal was not invented until 1859. Prior to that, you could walk from Israel to Egypt. You yeah, know? I noticed during the, um, when I read Genesis, right? Uh, each one of them, you know, Abraham went went into Egypt a couple of times. We so we saw that that oh, yeah. went back and forth, and and uh, we see when when the Lord Moses uh, told Joseph to take Jesus and his mother and go into Egypt. Right. They, they didn't have to get a boat. You, you can walk over. And the definition of a continent mm -hmm. is one of the seven major land masses on the earth that's surrounded by two or more major water expanses, that landmass is contiguous. That means I can get to it any spot on that landmass without having to cross a major body of water. Okay. So if I went to Africa, I could start in South Africa and start walking north and not have to cross a body of water till I got to Morocco. If I went to Africa, I can start in Nigeria, which is in West Africa, Mm -hmm. and start walking east and not stop until I get to Palestine so that I can get to anywhere on that continent by foot. We live in North America, which is United States, Canada, and uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. I can start in the northernmost part of Canada and start walking south and not have to cross a major water expanse until I get to the southernmost part of Mexico that constitute a continent. So on the continent of Africa, I can get to Israel by foot, which by definition makes Palestine a part of the African continent. And if that's true, then Christianity that was founded in Palestine and Judaism that was founded in Palestine must be considered African religions. Now, here is the issue. It's not enough to point out that black people were in the Bible. That's good, that's fine, that's wonderful. It's empowering. You know, we can find identity in that. But beyond that, let's read the story, particularly when we look at Jesus in the New Testament. The New Testament world, you know, Jesus grew up in Galilee and that's where most of his ministry unfolded in Galilee. Sure. When you understand the historical backstory of Galilee during the time Jesus ministered, you will find that there is a parallel between Galilee during Jesus' day and the United States of America with African Americans. The Jews were under colonial oppression from the Roman Empire because Rome had dominated Israel and made Israel a colony. You had the Jewish ruling class was comprised of the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the temple priesthood, and then you can throw the Herodians in there. Mm -hmm. The Jewish leadership 
was beholding to the Roman authorities because Rome could have come in at any time and just stopped the worship of Jehovah, of Yahweh, if they would have wanted to, but they didn't. Okay. So they co-opted the religious leaders of Israel and said to them, if you want to continue to practice Judaism, then you have to water down the message of Judaism. You don't need to be dealing with the prophets because the prophets were revolutionaries and they spoke out against oppression. Mm. They spoke out against domination. So when you read about the Pharisees and the scribes and what they taught during Jesus's time, they taught basically from the books of Moses, the thou shalt, the thou shalt not, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. When Jesus comes preaching, he rarely uses the books of Moses, but he preaches from the books of the prophets because the prophets were revolutionary and they pushed back against domination. So when we understand Jesus from that context, then Jesus becomes more, we, we begin to appreciate Jesus more because he's dealing with a system that's, that's, that's similar to the system that black people are dealing with today. So what, what white evangelical has done, white evangelicalism takes Jesus out of his historical context, mm. places Jesus in 21st century America, causes him to disassociate from the poor of which Jesus was a part, mm. makes him a white middle-class Republican who support capitalism and public and Republican politics. Mm. That's not who Jesus was. But that's who he's been invented to be by white evangelicalism. And the truth of the matter is, Lee, yeah. they really don't want to deal with Jesus. White mm. evangelicalism, they don't want to deal with him. Okay. They see him as the sacrifice for sin. Mm -hmm. Right. After that, they drop him and go straight to Paul. They don't want to deal with Jesus hmm. because Jesus was an oppressed man, a poor man hmm. who was standing up for the poor people of Galilee. Right. Who pushed back against domination and oppression. That's clear in the hmm. story. Jesus. It's clear. They don't want to deal with that. So if I don't have to deal with Jesus's historical context, right. then I can take his teaching and apply them the way I want to apply them. You know, right. we, we hear Jesus teaching in the, in the Beatitudes. Right. Blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. There's the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right. You know, yeah. he's talking to the poor people, mm -hmm. to people who mourn, right. <laughs> to people who are hungry for righteousness because they have been treated with unrighteousness for so long. That's who he's talking to. Wow. Lee, the first audience for the gospel was not the aristocracy. Right. Those poor people from Galilee, they were the mm -hmm. original audience. Hmm. So how is it then that a message that was originally directed toward the oppressed, the poor, the underclass, how did that message get changed so that it now benefits the rich and the powerful? What right. happened to the message? Right, right. <laughs> what? Like, wait, 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 man. Okay. You're messing me up, Doc. You're messing me up right now. Um, well, let me, and maybe this is, let me ask you, is there, is there space for understanding the social aspect of the ministry of Christ and the salvific, right? Because, um, you know, love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. It's a great commandment. Second, like, just like it, love their neighbor as thyself, right? So I've been trying to, in my study of it, 
I've been trying to say, hey, my biggest problem has been the the embracing of one and not the other, right? So I, I've been trying to, and this is just me trying to sort it through. Is there a understanding of the full teaching or uh, that we should aspire to? Does that make sense? Because I... Um, I was listening to, um, this is a rapper I listened to, and he talked about how, um, you know, <clears throat> there's the right hand and left hand. Hey, save the people. Hey, it's your soul that needs heaven, blah, blah, blah. But I don't really care about your, your injustice or whatever, right? So is there a place that, that we should be where it's not negating the, you know, true religion is taking care of the poor, et cetera. Um, but also, uh, you know, taking care of the, the soul. Like I see, I see what you're being. First of all, let's look at the, the, the definition of gospel. Gospel or the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. Okay. Um, and it means the good news. Right. Right, that, that's, that's what gospel means. It means good news. The first time we see the word gospel used in the Bible is not in the gospels. But the first time we see you in Gilead is in Isaiah 52, hmm. um, where Isaiah prophesies and says, um, okay. how beautiful are the feet of them that bring you in Gilead hmm. good news uh, of peace, you know, and, and of course, we're not talking about the Hebrew uh, rendition of the Old Testament, but we're talking about the Septuagint. Talk about the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, Isaiah 52, it uses the word euangelion, which means good news. Now, that prophecy took place in the 40th year of the Israel of the Hebrews' captivity in Babylon, mm. uh, Cyrus the Great from Persia had attacked Babylon. The Jews in Babylon knew that a defeat of the Babylonians by the Persian meant their deliverance. Mm. They didn't have to be captive anymore. Okay, so you have people who were watching the war unfold. They were called the watchmen. And when they would see the war unfolding, they would run back to the Jewish community, much like war correspondents that we have in today's news outlet, and inform the community how the battle was unfolding. When the Babylonians were finally defeated, the watchmen, Isaiah 52, ran back to the Jewish community proclaiming the UN Gilead or the good news mm. that the people who had us in bondage had been defeated and now we are free. UN Gilead, that's the good news. That's why I said how beautiful are the feet of them okay. that because they ran with that. Right. I mean, that would have been equivalently to um, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation and the Union Army had defeated the Confederate and you had somebody like Frederick Douglass running back to the South with the right. U.S. Gillian or the good news that uh. the Confederacy has been defeated and we have been set free from slavery. So salvation in the U.N. Gillian, when we first see it in Isaiah 52, had nothing to do with going to heaven in the afterlife. As a matter of fact, in Judaism, there is no afterlife. There's no concept of the afterlife where the quote unquote saved went to live with God in eternity. That's not in the Old Testament. Neither is there a concept of hell in the Old Testament where the wicked went to have eternal punishment. That's not in Judaism. Okay. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus coming with the gospel. And the gospel was presented to the Galilean under similar conditions that the Jews received it when they were in Babylonian captivity. The Jews in the New Testament 
were waiting for a Messiah to come to free them from Roman oppression. Mm. They didn't need a Messiah to tell them how to get to heaven. They already understood their soteriology or their understanding of salvation. For the Jews, salvation was keeping the law of Moses. That's how you get eternal life. So when Jesus came preaching this gospel, it was a gospel that was intended to encourage those who were experiencing oppression that the God of the Old Testament has chosen sides and he has chosen the side of the oppressed. Now, we get to the epistles where we start dealing with Paul. Right. Paul is more metaphysical in his understanding of the gospel in mm. that you receive the gospel. And when you receive the gospel, and that is believing in the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again and that Christ is coming back. Now, if I believe that message and receive it, when Christ comes back and they believe he was coming back next week right. during, during Paul's day, then I am saved from the punishment that's going to be wrought on the earth by God at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So you see the evolution of this whole idea of you and Gilead. You see, first of all, you and Gilead has to do with salvation from oppression. Mm. We see, secondly, you and Gilead has to do with salvation from the cares of this world and to be with God in the afterlife. So there are two prongs. Mm. White evangelicalism has done, it has eliminated the social aspect uh, and focus on the metaphysical. Right. And what some black theologians have done is eliminated the metaphysical and focus on the social. Mm. But the balance is like you talked about, the balance is we have to integrate both of them right. because they are both important. That's so good. That's that's so good, man. Man, Dr. Dr. Williams, we, we're going to have to talk some more, <laughs> man. Um, I, hey, you know, we, I'm, even after I stop recording, I'm going to have to give you a call <laughs> because this is just good. But our show, our show is coming to an end. But, man, I really appreciate the the understanding, um, and I really see the benefit of a fuller um, explanation of the gospel, right? And I think this comes, um, like you said, from when you, there's not these presupposed ideologies that we put into the scripture and we just allow the text to say what it says and we get our theology from, okay. uh, you know, um, just to circle back without when we're reading the Bible without these glasses on that have colored the how we perceive man this is really been good like this this my friend is definitely the type of topics that that we wanted when we um, when we invited you to come but also when we decided to launch this podcast, Bible in Real Life. But I do have to say, um, I do have to wrap up our time together. And man, but before we go, how, how do we get in touch with you? What project do you have going on? Or how can we get more information so that we can really understand this full? Okay. Well, well, you can you can visit us on our website, Mount Car uh, Mount Car bibleisblackhistory.com you can and coming this fall okay is the bible is black history institute we are we have classes um four nine week sessions mm -hmm. where we would deal with the bible is black history we would deal with black presence in the bible we're going to look at biblical hermeneutics that we talked about the glasses thing uh -huh. We're going to look at black church, white theology. Mm. All of that stuff is going to be broken up into eight courses that will run in four nine-week 
semesters. You can get continuing education units that will be kept on file at Virginia Union University because Virginia Union is behind it. We are partnering together. Okay. And you will be a certified instructor of the Bible is Black History Institute. So after you go through mm -hmm. this, you should be informed enough to at least go back to your church. Right. Teach this stuff at your church. You talked about how do we transform the church. Right. This is one of the ways that we're trying to do it. So that's going to happen this fall. I don't have any dates nailed down and we're still putting stuff together. So I, I do encourage you to keep your ears and your eyes open. Um, check back and forth with our um, uh, website, um, BibleIsBlackHistory.com, and that will give you the information that you need. Outstanding. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to link in the description on the podcast, BibleIsBlackHistory.com, to make sure you go, um, um, make sure that people can find that information. It's not the Bible is Black History, but just Bible is Black History. Correct. Sorry about that. www.bibleisblackhistory.com. Yes. And I want to thank you, sir. My eyes have been opened. Now, I, uh oh, I watch out, world. Y'all in trouble because because another brother has been his eyes have been opened. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I, I feel like I just saw Amistad around here. But anyway, um. So thank you for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. And I'll make sure um, we'll keep in touch. I'll make, I have some of your contact information. So we'll keep in touch because I can see how this information can be uh, transformative for some of the people that I'm in touch with and also for some of the churches that we, that we uh, connect with as well. Awesome. So. Thank you so much for the invitation, Lee. I wish you the best. Wish you the best too, sir. And um, thank you again. So this has been the Bible in Real Life podcast. I'm your host, Lee Fuller. Special thank you to Dr. Williams at, at BibleInBlackHistory.com. Make sure you check out what they're doing over there. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you next time as we study the Bible in real life. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.